0: 2 Corinthians 4 from verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced, renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, we always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Thanks, Carl.
1: Well, can I just uh, extend uh, my own invitation to those of you who are visiting as well this morning? If you're, if you're here for Graeme and Linda's commissioning service, it's great to have you with us. Uh, and of course, if uh, you're regularly here too, it's great to have you here as well. Uh, the, um, uh, it's an exciting day, I guess. Uh, today, it's it's the end of a long road. Uh, but it's kind of the beginning of another long road as well. It kind of reminds me of Winston Churchill who said, this is not uh, the end, this is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it kind of feels a bit like that, I guess, and probably more so for you guys, uh, Graeme and Linda, as, you, as uh, you look to head off in the next few weeks. Uh, it was great uh, as well to hear from John and Bester, so thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us uh, about South Sudan and your experiences of that. Uh, but as, as we uh, send Graham and Linda off, as we, as we commission them for this uh, ministry, this work in South Sudan, uh, it's, it, I want to spend some time this morning just thinking about uh, what the shape of their ministry uh, will look like, what it ought to look like. We're sending Graham and Linda to, to provide medical care, to, to look after our young children and mothers uh, but we're also seeing them to, to share with people the good news about Jesus and the grace of God uh, in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I think it's useful for them and for us as well to think about what ought to be the shape uh, of gospel ministry, of, of, of Christ-centred ministry. What should be the shape of their ministry? And for those of us who stay behind, what should be the shape of our ministry? Now, w- when I say ministry, I don't mean you know, paid ministry or, or ministry jobs. But, but I mean, uh, what should be the shape of the way that we serve others and follow Christ? Uh, well, the passage uh, that we're looking at this morning helps us to address that, helps us to get our expectations, if you like, right about ministry. Last week, for those of you who are here, you remember that we thought about ex- our expectations of the church, what they should be. Well, this morning it's about reshaping our expectations of ministry. Uh, and Paul, in uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter uh, to a church in Corinth, he wrote it about 56 AD, uh, so about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In uh, the section that we read, uh, Paul is describing uh, the shape of his ministry uh, and the shape of the ministry of his uh, of his companions. So, in verse one of that. Uh, that chapter he says through God's mercy we have this ministry and then he goes on to say what that is in verse 2. Uh, how does he go about this ministry? Well he says we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God but on the contrary by setting forth the truth plainly we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So how have they gone about their ministry? Well they've Uh, rejected lies and untruths and instead they've committed themselves to the truth. What is that truth? The second half of verse 4 tells us it is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And then in verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, the very centre of Paul's ministry was the proclamation of words, true words, about Jesus. Uh, The centre of his his ministry was speaking words about Jesus as God, words about Jesus as Lord, as King of the universe, uh, words about Jesus uh, not to advantage themselves but for the sake of those who hear, so that those who hear might believe Uh, and be saved. You know, we might have uh, a ministry which is tremendously beneficial to lots of people uh, without telling people about the good news of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. We might do amazing things, but if we don't tell people about Jesus, then it's not a gospel ministry. Graham and Linda, uh, you guys are going to be part uh, of a great ministry, a great ministry in South Sudan. You might uh, do wonderful things to help people, uh, young mothers, children, to to lower the the infant mortality rate, uh, to help orphans, to strengthen the nation of South Sudan. You might do incredible, uh, wonderful things which we can all celebrate but if there are no words about Jesus then it's not a gospel ministry if we don't speak words about Jesus, about the love of God, about the need to repent and turn away from sin and follow Jesus, if we don't speak about that, whatever we do, our ministry won't be a gospel ministry and it won't reconcile people to God. Uh, A few weeks ago, here at the branch, uh, we finished a series uh, on the book of Leviticus, which is a pretty... Strange book from the Old Testament. But it's a book all about the way that the people before Jesus were supposed to live to illustrate the gospel. They were supposed to do all these rituals and ceremonies to illustrate what the gospel was, what Jesus was going to do when he came, how Jesus would would, would bring us back to God. But this side of the cross, this side of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't illustrate the gospel anymore through rituals and ceremonies. Jesus has shown us a better way. Jesus in his life on earth illustrated the gospel in a whole lot of ways. When Jesus uh, restored the sight of the blind, he illustrated the gospel. He showed how God opens the eyes of our hearts to know him and to love him. Uh, when Jesus uh, cleansed lepers, he, he illustrated the gospel in which Jesus Uh, cleanses our hearts of our wrong desires, of our self-interest, of our self-love and of our hatred toward God. See, Jesus in his own ministry showed us a better way. How do we illustrate the Gospel? Well, in the same way, when we show love to people who hate and reject us, we illustrate the Gospel. We illustrate the love of God who loved us even when we hated him. When Graham uh, uses his skills as a doctor to, to bring healing into the lives of, of little children and, and mothers, he illustrates the Gospel. He illustrates the healing of power of God, not just physically, but in restoring the spiritual lives of people. We heard about it before as well, didn't we? Uh, when Graham alluded to the fact that Jesus came down, he left the glory of heaven to come down into our earth to save sinners, to save us. And in the same way as Graham and Linda go from, from, from here, it's not the, Australia isn't perfection, the perfection of heaven, but in the same way as they go, as they leave this place to go to South Sudan, to leave the comfort of this environment and the love of this environment, to go to a strange place, to go to a distant place, to share the love of God in the same way they illustrate the gospel. But here's the key point. None of those things are the gospel. They're just illustrations, and without words to explain them, they'll be misunderstood. I'm pretty sure I've told this story before but I love this story so much that so I'll tell it again. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a guy who lived in the 1500s uh, and he was a man who grew up in a, in a deeply religious environment uh, and in his day, the church had decided that people weren't clever enough to understand words uh, a- a- about God and so what they did is instead they, they made stained glass windows and they painted pictures uh, and they had... Uh, incredible rituals and, and ceremonies in the church and they made sculptures uh, of uh, the crucifixion of Jesus because they thought that in that way they might be able to communicate the gospel better to people. But the trouble was that when Martin Luther would look at the, at, at the crucifixion scenes of Jesus, he totally misunderstood what was going on. He would look at the cross and Jesus dying on the cross and think, God must be so angry with us because of what we've done to his son. God must be furious. How can we ever make up for the fact that, uh, that we've killed God's own son? Martin Luther failed to understand that the cross wasn't a sign of God's anger at us but it was a sign of God's love that in the cross of Christ God reconciles himself to us. God takes away his, his anger and his wrath at us. You see, Martin Luther totally under, misunderstood the illustrations of the gospel without words explaining the gospel, who Jesus is, that we need to believe in him and be reconciled to God. If our, gospel ministry is, if our ministry is to be a gospel ministry, then at the very centre, there must be words about Jesus. Well, that sounds uh, easy enough, doesn't it? That sounds easy enough, guys. Just uh, have some words uh, about Jesus. But Paul goes on to a, a much blacker picture uh, as well of the shape of Gospel ministry. If you've got your Bible open, still look with me at verse 7 where Paul says this. He writes, But we have this treasure. This treasure is, is, is the truth about Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is, God, is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. The second thing which Paul says about Gospel ministry is that it's hard. Uh, It involves pressure, perplexity, persecution, being struck down. In fact, Paul says it's death. Uh, in the next three verses he says things like this, he says we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus uh, and he says we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake and again, so then death is at work in us. What does what does he mean by that? What does Paul mean by ministry is death? Uh, other parts of the Bible, in other parts of the Bible God tells us to, to put our sin to death which is a kind of a a, a metaphorical way of saying to to kill sin, to get rid of it, to to run away from it? Is that what Paul means? By ministry is death? Does he mean that effective ministry requires putting sin to death? That's certainly true that effective ministry requires putting sin to death but I, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is that this Gospel ministry has almost killed him. This gospel ministry has been immensely hard work. It's provoked opposition. Uh, it's provoked persecution. It's been perplexing. I love that. I love that as a description of ministry. What is it like? It's perplexing. Literally, he means, I'm at a loss. I don't understand it. I was talking with, uh, with Ben this week about his ministry, the Adopter block ministry, uh, and the word that kept coming back into my head was this, perplexing. One day you go and people receive you with great joy and you think, God, thank you so much for your incredible mercy uh, today in this ministry. And then the next day you go and, and, and someone says, look, I'm, I'm over it, I don't ever want to see you again, uh, I've heard enough, don't come back. Someone that you, you think that you're finally getting to know. No, Paul says ministry is perplexing. God, what are you doing? I'm at a loss. I don't understand. But these difficulties in ministry don't just come from, from, from people outside the church. The, the great, one of the great sources of Paul's difficulties in ministry is the church itself. If you read the rest of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you'll discover that that's the main source of his opposition, the, the Corinthian church, the, the people in the churches. So here is Paul's uh, message about the shape of gospel ministry. It will nearly kill you. It will be hard work. The death of Jesus will be manifest in your ministry as you are oppressed, as you are opposed, as you are struck down, as you're perplexed, as you're persecuted and possibly even as you're put to death. There are places uh, in the world where Christians are still put to death because of their ministry and their love for Jesus. But people rarely advertise those realities in, in ads for ministry jobs, do they? You know, you, when was the last time you saw a, an ad in a in a church magazine or a kind of a Christian magazine, and it said, "We're looking for a gifted person who loves God, uh, who's a team player, who loves people, and is who's prepared to die for their ministry, who's prepared to be crushed, uh, who's prepared uh, to be." A perplexed, opposed, hard-pressed on every side. You know, or, or we're looking for a Sunday school teacher for the church, uh, and what we say to them is, "You'll love it. It will be fantastic. It will be the best thing you've ever experienced in your entire life." And we forget to tell them that gospel ministry is hard work. Or we say to parents. Just think of the wonderful opportunity that you have to speak the Gospel into the lives of your children. What a blessing! What a privilege! And we forget to tell them that actually it will be very hard work. It will be confrontational. It will be difficult. It will be perplexing. It will provoke opposition. And that... Reality is the same for Graham and Linda as they head off to South Sudan and even for Jasmine and for Caleb and for Josiah, they're part in this ministry. It's going to be hard work. It is going to be difficult. It will be perplexing. It will nearly kill you because that's God's plan. Isn't that great? That's God's plan for gospel ministry. Jesus said that anyone who wants to follow him has to take up their cross. Gospel-shaped life, gospel-shaped ministry is cross-shaped ministry. Just as it killed Jesus, our ministry following Jesus will nearly kill us as well. Of course, uh, your ministry might be hard work because Uh, You make things difficult for yourself. Uh, You might turn every suggestion that somebody makes into a criticism of your ministry. So you say, uh, someone says, the hand towels need to be replaced in the toilets. And you say, are you trying to undermine my ministry? Uh, What are you trying to do here? So difficulty in ministry doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing true gospel ministry. For those who are interested, that's the fallacy of affirming the consequent again. But, but true gospel ministry invariably will be immensely difficult. Amy Carmichael, uh, I don't know if you know the name, she was a missionary to India and she wrote, uh, she worked among orphans and she did a tremendous amount of good uh, among orphans in India. But she also suffered tremendously in that work. And she wrote this, this poem uh, in which he says, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear these singers mighty in the land, I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by archers. spent, leaned me against a tree to die. And rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned, hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Gospel-shaped ministry is ministry which speaks words about Jesus and gospel-shaped ministry is cross-shaped ministry. So it's not an accident uh, that ministry is death, that's God's plan. Well, why is that? Why is it God's plan that ministry be so hard? Paul gives uh, the answer in verse 7. He says, that the reason is so that people would know that the power is God's and not ours. The answer is so that people would see Jesus and not us. Paul is given over to death, he says, for Jesus' sake. It's the death of Jesus which he carries around in his body. Why? Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. What does that mean? Verse 12 is the answer. So then, death is at work in us but life is at work in you. The reason that gospel ministry involves suffering is not because our suffering has a kind of intrinsic value, it's not because it does anything or achieves anything, that somehow it miraculously helps other people. No, the point is that our evident weakness helps other people to see Jesus more clearly and Jesus is the one who saves them. In other words, gospel ministry is death because in that way it forces people to look past us and to see Jesus. You guys are going to be doing great work helping people in South Sudan and the danger will be that people will look at you and not see Jesus. Here's the great news, God will crush you so that people look past you and see him. And when that happens, they'll find life. Our temptation so often is to ask, isn't it, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? But the climax of Paul's point here is not what we get but what they get. What's in it for you if you engage in gospel ministry and follow Jesus? Well, Paul's pretty clear about the benefits, isn't he? You'll get suffering, hardship, persecution, and trials and oppression, but what will be in it for the people that you minister to? Well, what's in it for them is life. The good news about Jesus, the good news about forgiveness from God, the good news about a new life lived to the glory of God. What's in it for them is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think it's crucial to understand that gospel-shaped ministry is cross-shaped ministry. But I think it's even more important to understand that gospel-shaped ministry is cross- and resurrection-shaped ministry. That perspective helps us to understand that when we say ministry is death and that it will nearly kill you, that doesn't mean that ministry is hopeless and joyless and, and pointless. To say that would be like saying that the cross of Jesus was pointless and hopeless and empty because it was so black and dark and horrible. But that's the paradox of the cross, isn't it? The paradox of the cross is that the worst day in human history is the greatest day. The day when the world put the Son of God to death is the day in which God won life for those who believe in Jesus. To say that our ministry follows the ministry of Jesus is to say that our ministry is subject to the same paradox. Paul says, I don't lose heart. I'm not crushed. I'm not in despair. I'm not destroyed. Why? Because through my ministry, as hard as it is, you've discovered Jesus and the life which comes through him. And because of that, I rejoice. It might be hard but it's good. It might nearly kill me, but it will give you life. Graham and Linda and Jasmine and Josiah and Caleb, they're not here, but you can pass on the message. Your gospel and ministry in South Sudan showing the love of God and speaking about Jesus will be difficult, I think you know that. But it won't be difficult because your failures or because you're hopeless in ministry, it will be difficult because that's God's plan for you and for everybody who engages in gospel ministry and who follows Jesus. And as hard as it will be, it will be good and it will be worth it because people in South Sudan will hear the gospel for the first time and believe in Jesus and find life. And for the rest of us, as we engage in ministry here in our setting, whatever that might be, if it's gospel ministry, it will nearly kill you. But through you, people will hear the gospel for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time and they'll find life in believing in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for Graham and Linda and for their willingness uh, to to leave here and to go to South Sudan uh, and to share your amazing love with the people there and to tell people about the riches of your grace and to unveil to them uh, your glory in the face of Christ. Lord, we ask that through their ministry people would find healing and life both in this world and in the world to come. And we ask that through their ministry, people would believe in Jesus for eternal life. Well, we ask that their medical efforts and their humanitarian efforts would be an illustration of the spiritual realities of the Gospel uh, and would show forth uh, both your love and your healing power through, uh, uh, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, help them and us to be willing to suffer Uh, For the sake of Jesus, help us to be willing to uh, follow Jesus' model of ministry uh, which killed him to bring us the power of life. Lord, help us to follow that same model, to be willing to die. Lord, we pray that through our suffering and through our difficulties, people would look past us and see the crucified and risen Jesus. Lord, we ask it, that that would be the case both here in Launceston and in Ye in South Sudan. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.